I couldn't stomach it. I couldn't handle it. It's, that's too big for me. But when we, when our hearts are met with a real human experience, there, you know, we can't put boundaries on what we are able to do. Like we, you don't know until you're in that situation. It's not even something you can really imagine. I mean, I, I've seen things and witnessed things and that I never wanted to be a part of but you just can't you just can't not sometimes yeah. like you're like if that was me i mean that's compassion isn't it like if that was me i would absolutely want someone in the other position of roles reversed to look at me and take care when everyone else looks past me and everyone else tells me that i'm not worth it i'm not worthy i'm not smart enough you know that this person this one person looks at me and says yes you are this is the podcast where you come alive to your own exclusive magic and find strategies to work that magic in the real world in a way that feels authentic and exciting and inspired and lucrative <laughs> and fun. I'm your coach, Bethany Shipley, and this is The Bethany Shipley Show. here today with the one and only Asher Cooley. Asher is the founder of Soul Hope and the visionary behind it all. We're going to get into all of that, but Soul Hope quickly, I'll explain, is a non-for-profit organization that focuses on restoring hope for the world's most neglected tropical disease called not chiggers, but jiggers with a J. <laughs> we'll talk about all of that. <laughs> Um, she is down to earth. She is a mom of eight kids. She is a co-founder of Maxwell and Marie, which is a business growth company that helps non-for-profits and traditional businesses have explosive growth. Asher, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here chatting with you. I'm so grateful. And I just feel like I have so many questions and I feel just so honored that you're here and that we're connected. There've been so many little moments, even just in our last few weeks of or I guess, I don't know, weeks? Has it even been weeks of <laughs> I don't know. Instagram conversations <laughs> that I'm like, good. time flies. <laughs> yes. And you know, that concept that you haven't met all the people you're going to love yet. Mm -hmm. And you're yeah. that like, you're the most recent Aww. for me. I'm like, I love her. Um, Thank you. She and her husband, Ben live in Nashville, which is where my brother lives. <laughs> so yes. I'm so excited to come visit you. Great city. Asher, tell me, um, first of all, like I, this, po this question popped into my head and I, um, I was like, I, I didn't even tell you I was going to ask this, but what is life about for you? Mm, that is such a good question. I feel like in the last couple of years, it's been a redirection of what life used to always be about. I've been a working slash working from home mom since I became a mom almost 18 years ago. And so I've transitioned from running a photography business, plus being a foster parent, plus, well, then starting a nonprofit that I didn't really want to start, but I felt so compelled and passionate about like somebody needs to do something and nobody is. So I <laughs> guess God will be the one to start this, but please bring other people who are better than me at this <laughs> and into like, that was my life into you know, being back in America, living in America now for almost four years post living in Uganda, where we're raising the kids and doing life there for Soul Hope. Um, my gosh, culture shock, even for an American moving back to America. Can I just tell you smart TVs and tap to pay? Like, what the heck? I was back and I was like with my little debit card. Okay, like listen, I am also, <laughs> I live in America, never lived in Uganda, and I'm still like, do I swipe insert or like the tapping thing? So I can only imagine. There's so, there's so many options. I was having to have my dad explain a smart TV to me, which like, who who's the old person here? I'm like, what do you mean? The movies are already on the TV. You don't have to put it. So I come from like, you know, still trying to do this like culture shock and the culture shock of the kids, like to be real, you know, they're all raised in Uganda and then we move back to the States and they're like, just uh, flips your world upside down to moving like divorce blended families I mean it has been 
such a whirlwind of seasons. And I feel like I'm finally settling into doing the things that I'm passionate about and not just passionate about, because I, I think I've always led my life doing what I'm passionate about, but being grounded in who I am doing those things. Cause that hasn't always been there. Wow. And you said settled and grounded in both of those things, just knowing a little bit of your story with being a military kid, moving all over the world and obviously then still choosing that for yourself when you were an adult and moving to Uganda with a family. Yeah. Is this the first time in your life that you have felt settled? You know what? I think it is. I think it is. Um, I, you know, I've written a couple of posts about like, where is like home is a really big deal for me. And I, I mean like a physical home where people say like, where are you from? Like, you know, I, I've never had that like childhood home that I could go back to where my parents have lived or like even just to have memories from as a teenager, like going back and saying, oh, I remember this used to be my bedroom. Like I've never had anything like that. And so it has given me the ability to kind of uproot and do things crazy, bold and adventurous, like moving to Uganda at the drop of a hat. But it also, I think when we came back, made me realize like, oh, where, where is that groundedness in a physical location? So yes, I'm starting to feel very grounded physically, but also emotionally. I think just maturity, life, life has its lessons and its way of either taking a toll on you and beating you to the ground or taking a toll on you. And then you choosing to learn from those lessons, to be a stronger person, to make better decisions, to really invest in yourself and learn who you are. And so I feel like I'm finally arriving at that place. I haven't arrived, but I feel like I'm finally getting a vision of what that can look like. And it feels so freeing and good. Do you think as a set, you're an eight, seven wing on the Enneagram you said, Uh isn't that right? Um, yeah. Do you think that because you have that adventure wing, do you think it's important for an adventurer to have a home base so that everything that they do actually feels like an adventure instead of just a mm-hmm. way of life? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think we all need that. Like no matter what our personality type is, I think, you know, some people are probably fine not being grounded in a physical location. I would say for the large part, that's me also, but uh, you know, being grounded in in whatever it is, whether it's some people are like, I just have to be out in nature. Like that's my dad. He doesn't care where in the world he is. He just needs to be out in nature. You know, like camping is his Hawaii. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> that's so my <laughs> husband. <laughs> you don't need to go on a cruise or do anything fancy. He just wants to be out in nature and camping because that's where he feels grounded in himself and that's home to him. And so, and I love homemaking, like um, not, well, okay. I love making a space that makes people feel comfortable. I and, love that. And just being able to rest and feel at ease and have everything that they need and not have to, you know, be hungry or want, or I don't know, that's just always been a desire of mine. And so the two go hand in hand, like having a physical location that I can use for hospitality that I can use to serve other people and host people. And so that's been a really fun thing in this, the season that we're in right now too. It totally makes sense. I mean, you guys can't see her background, but she has like this most beautiful, I'm sure you designed that office and painted it. Yes. It's beautiful. It's like a, a darker than olive green, but it's, it's kind of this, like, I'm going to have to get the name of that so I can paint my bedroom. Okay. It's really pretty. It's really pretty. Like at night, it's Uh, really pretty in the daytime that changes color with the lighting. The lamp is just incredible. And like plants and a couch, it feels really cozy. And, um, that's actually an area that, well, I'm so excited. You're going to come hang out with me in June a little bit because my house is, that's an area of my life that I feel, um, I would like to get better at that. Like I have, I know what I like when I see it, but looking at yours, I'm like, Oh, I want to be in there. I'm going to be in that oh, room. You're so sweet. <laughs> well, one thing I love that you talk about is like, what is your magic? And like, mm-hmm. I think we all have different things that we can bring to the table that make people have that same feeling, like the same feeling that you would feel if you sat in a cozy room, people have per- certain people have personalities that can make you feel really cozy or, you know, just there are different things about us. And so, um, I know that 
you, I know that you have that. I mean, that's the reason we can't even remember when we started talking because it feels <laughs> <laughs> I've only known each other for years. Oh no, wait, maybe a week. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that's so, that's so true. Yesterday, my brother, um, actually who lives in Nashville was reading this excerpt of Rick Rubin. Um, I think it's called the creative, the creative act maybe. Um, do you know, are you familiar with Rick Rubin? No, uh -uh. he is a producer that's behind pretty much. I, I would say a large portion of what we see as successful music. He is the mm -hmm. common thread and oh wow. He is the person who, like, a lot of people don't know this about, like, Johnny Cash, but is that his name? Johnny Cash? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm So Johnny Cash had, like, this huge hit, and then he actually, like, plummeted and had a season of life where he was barely making ends meet and barely surviving. And um, Rick Rubin is the one who brought him in kind of a retreat space and created, wow. I, I mean, I think it, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was, like, months of restoration and helped Johnny Cash actually produce something that became even more successful but rick rubin wrote in his excerpt or my brother jake read in this book how bees are intuitive and they follow their their desire and they all have these unique roles in the hive and without the bees we wouldn't have birds we wouldn't have you know the bees are really foundational for everything around us and um i think what you're saying is so it's it's actually an area that i am digging in deep to find my personal philosophy on because I do believe that everyone has magic and I do believe that everyone has um things that they're drawn to but you know what I used to say things like um everyone has a purpose and I think mm -hmm. that that we can get almost create this weightiness with purpose that right. like it can be my purpose yeah. am I missing it am have I, I done it is it past me did I already do my purpose What's my purpose now? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I, I'm there, you know, I'm in those questions right now. And yeah. it's so ironic. You know, I create this podcast. I start bringing people on and time after time, it ends up being for me, you know, it's like, I'm yeah. here to learn and, and it's like, uh, so that's amazing. So take us back to, you are scrolling YouTube, trying to learn something about foster care, and you see this educational video on jiggers. Mm -hmm. Like, take us to that moment and what was going on and kind of how Soul Hope was founded from there. Yeah, sure. So, so I was looking on the internet, doing everyone out, and, you know, the house was quiet, everyone's sleeping, and I'm just scrolling, looking for information. And I came across this video that was on YouTube of a jigger removal in Kenya. And it was this mom, she was holding a little boy, the same age as my own little boy upstairs who was sleeping. And you could just see the pain on the mom's face and the boy was obviously crying and they were removing these jiggers from his feet. Well, my family is from Oklahoma. And so I'm like, oh, jiggers, what's the big deal? <laughs> like we get those in the summer, you put a little clear nail polish on them and they go away. Like, I don't understand why, why does this look like such a catastrophe? And so I started to do more research and I found out that it's jiggers and that's just their local name for it. The, the medical term is tungiasis and it is one of the world's most neglected tropical diseases. Thankfully, Soul Hope, we are, what are we, 13 years in and we are finally getting the ear of the World Health Organization and people who write the agenda for actually helping, you know, these tropical diseases that nobody cares about. I just and have to take a second and like clap for that, like <laughs> in 13 years. So when yeah. you say you're getting the attention, what does that look like? Are you in conversations with these people? Yeah. Like actually sitting down, speaking with them, um, you know, proposals are, are being written between other government officials, whether it be um, in Uganda or other parts of East Africa, because this isn't just endemic to Uganda. It's, it is largely in East Africa. Um, the video that I saw was in Kenya. The very first video was in Kenya. Um, and so, so when I looked at this, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do something like, is there an organization that I can donate shoes to or money or time? Or like, I want to help. What can I do to help? And I was not thinking about it being me. I was not thinking about starting a nonprofit at the time. I was running a very, very successful photography business. I was a foster parent of a 14-month-old and a three-year-old. And I had a 14-month-old and a three-year-old. And um, I just, I felt 
completely like up to my eyes and things to do. And I was content that way, I guess you could say in that season of my life. And I just could not shake this video. And I could not shake the fact that nobody was doing anything about this. So I spent the next two years doing research, going, flying all over East Africa, um, or not flying, but traveling all over East Africa and um, doing research into this problem and where is it most prevalent and what are the thought beliefs around it and what do the medical professionals have to say. And Uganda, where we are based, is actually the epicenter of uh, jiggers. It is where they are the most uh, neglected because they're attached to a stigma and they're attached to witchcraft. And so people just think if you have them, well, it's because your grandfather died and he hated you. And so you have jiggers and there's nothing you can do about it. When in reality, jiggers are based on hygiene, lack of hygiene, sometimes having animals live in the home with them, poverty. So, you know, there's no place else to put their animals. They don't want them stolen at night. So they bring them into their own place. Um, but hygiene, closed toed shoes and um, removing them when you get them. I've had jiggers like anybody can get jiggers. It is, this is not based on your race or your age or your ability. It is just based on being alive and anybody can get jiggers and you just remove it. Like you would remove a splinter, but if you don't, they can literally cause gangrene, rot, tetanus, um, anemia, and even death. I have, I have watched children who were left in the village far too long, um, die because of it when it's completely treatable. And so, yeah, it's just, it, it, it broke my heart. And I was like, I can't not do something about it. If I just close my computer, call it a day, call it somebody else's problem. What does this say about me as a person? What does this say about my, um, my faith, you know, what I claim to believe and, and who I serve and why I'm here on this earth. And so, um, I was like, okay, God, I will do what I can. Please bring people who are better and more educated and, you know, all the right people into my path. And it's been a journey over the last 13 years. My gosh, it's been a journey. Um, but I wouldn't change it for anything. It's been really hard, but I would not change it for anything because at the heart of it, soul hope has changed so many thousands upon thousands of people's lives and people are alive still because of soul hope. And, um, it's not only changed the patients that we've worked with, but it's changed the people who've worked for soul hope. Um, so yeah, it's, that was one of the things we talk about purpose. Um, you know, moving back to the States, my day in and day out was going to the hope center, going to the hospital with patients watching. I mean, so much trauma, watching people die, holding people as they die, holding their hands as they slip away, watching people in pain. I mean, just layers upon layers upon layers of trauma being there and serving. And so moving back to America where we're all in our little closed up houses, doing our own things, taking our kids to soccer practice, baseball, you know, being involved in things. Everyone just felt so busy and too busy for community and too busy for their neighbor. This is what it felt like when I first moved back. And I really struggled with that. And I was like, well, what is my purpose now? I mean, yes, I can still keep speaking up for soul hope, but the problem is it's not like food. It's not like a food program or a water program. We all know what it feels like to be hungry. We all know what it feels like to be thirsty. We don't want other people to be hungry and thirsty. So it's easy to say, oh my gosh, I'll absolutely hop on board to help with that. Like, what can I do? So other people aren't hungry and thirsty, but Jiggers is not something we can relate to here in America. We don't have anything like it. Like you could be someone living on the streets and you would never experience the the level of oh it's witchcraft like i i'm a doctor i'm not even going to touch you like i'm not even going to look at you i'm going to lock you up in a cabinet and starve you until you die because of this tropical illness that you have like we don't find that here and so it's hard to relate to so i was like i know i can come back and tell people about it but my goodness it's so hard you almost have to just you have to experience it for yourself for it to really tug at your heartstrings for most people I've found. And so, um, I, yeah, I was like, what is my purpose now that I'm here? Like, you know, besides that, besides yeah. advocating personal hope. And, um, and so that's been its own journey, but thank God he's put amazing people in soul hopes path. And I mean, 
they're doing far better than they would be doing if I was there. So that's like selfish <laughs> of me. <laughs> Selfishly, I wanted to still be there. But, you know, it, it's a really good opportunity to ask yourself, like, what am I finding? Where is my value? Like, mm-hmm. what am I putting my value in? And um, who do I say that I am with these things stripped away? And it's it's hard to look at that reality in the face, but it's so good. And it produces oh. good results. That's so, that's so amazing. Is it, is it, does it look pretty terrible when you're looking at someone with jiggers on their, like, is it like, oh, that's hard to see? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It, it is really hard to see. Um, I went back last year, um, with my husband and he had, he had seen jiggers before, but not up close at, so we went to our hope center where we take in patients who have over 150 jiggers. And these are people who will have them in their ears, their hands, their backside. I mean, anything. And, um, he just like seeing the look on his face kind of brought me back to reality because I've been around it for so many years that I'm like, you know, the smell, the rotting flesh, the visual of it, the, the pain that you can see in the, the children and the, it's not even just children that get it. Um, the elderly, the disabled, it, you kind of, um, like I would, well, like I would imagine if you're in the medical field at all, you, you get used to certain things and you have to move on business as usual. That's how you help people. Yeah. And, um, so seeing the look on his face brought me back to reality of like, gosh, yeah, this is really hard to look at. This is really hard to watch. Yeah. Have you always been someone I'm like, I'm feeling so emotional. This is that our conversation is so timely. Have you always been someone who could stomach something like visually challenging like that? No, (laughs) no, I have never even pulled out a tooth. Like I not, not any of my own. I have a million children and I (laughs) have pulled out one, one of their teeth and it was last year. And I just about had like, I (laughs) was like, even that for me is a lot. No, I have not been able to do that. And it was but it's interesting how the human, um, the human heart transcends our boundaries of what we think we can do and can't do. And, um, I was watching your Insta story of yeah. when you ran across that, um, the man who ran off the road and you probably felt some of that. Like, I, I don't know what to do, but I have to, to do something. I, I literally, I mean, I'm sitting here crying because I, you know, I've always said, oh, I could never, I could never be a first responder or I could never like, as if, um, you know, it was a choice, you know, and most of the time in our career it is, but yesterday, and I mean, I'm still processing obviously, but, um, yeah, yesterday I was looking down the ravine and I, I, for those listening who maybe didn't see my story, I, um, was the first person on a wreck on a wreck I saw the truck leave the highway just as fast as it was going and I saw the truck down there and I totally had that moment Asher where I was like I have to go down there not because it's what a good human would do but because th- this is a human in that vehicle and um, yeah. somebody needs to go witness them whatever yeah. it is and um, I yeah I I just think it's so what you just said, the human heart transcends our boundaries. Um, the beauty is that you have that, the beauty is that you have that compassion and that, that you know, so many of us do, and we don't even realize that it's something that we can tap into. I mean, I was somebody who said, um, as a, I've always had a heart to help people. I mean, to bring a little bit of lightheartedness to this, I did start to help the earth club at the age of 10 for the neighborhood kids. And we talked about, you know, wasting water and clipping your plastic soda can thing. So the dolphins That's amazing. Look at that. Look at you. At the same time, I totally prayed, God, just please never send me to Africa because (laughs) literally, because that's really far away. And I don't, I don't think I could, I don't think I could do anything there. Like I'm not, I couldn't stomach it. I couldn't handle it. It's that's too big for me. But when we, when our hearts are met with a real human experience there, you know, we can't put boundaries on what we are able 
to do. Like we, you don't know until you're in that situation. It's not even something you can really imagine. I mean, I, I've seen things and witnessed things and that I never wanted to be a part of, but you just can't, you just can't not sometimes like, you're like, if that was me, I mean, that's compassion, isn't it? Like if that was me, I would absolutely want someone in the other position if roles were reversed to look at me and to care when everyone else looks past me and everyone else tells me that I'm not worth it. I'm not worthy. I'm not smart enough. You know, that this person, this one person looks at me and says, yes, you are Yeah. like, we will come from the ends of the earth because you are worth it because that's the, the God that I believe in. Like he did that for me. And so if I can even model that a tiny bit for another human, whether it's here in America or on the other side of the earth, whether it's my next door neighbor or somebody in my family, that is what makes this world a better place. That's what makes humanity good and beautiful. Oh, I feel like the common theme I'm seeing through your life is this message that you are not your circumstance. Mm. Do you feel like you have always been saying that to people? Well, I've never thought about that until you said that. Um, I mean, that's, you know what, that I would say that's probably pretty accurate because so I, I mean, I, from the outside looking in, people would probably be like, oh, wow, you had a really privileged life. And I did absolutely did. I had my own traumas that I went through as a child and as a teenager and a young adult, I had my own hardships like everybody does in our own different ways. But, um, there were certain things in my life that could have put a stop to me or squished me or made me think, Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I, I could never and there, I don't know, there's just this little fighter in me. Maybe it's that in here. <laughs> there's this little fighter in me that's like, as small as it may be, even when I was a child, you feel those things, you take them in, and but you don't stop there. Like, well, that's not, that's not truth. And I think the thing, I think it all boils down to what is the truth? Like, we all have different circumstances that we've come from, but what is the truth of who we are? You know, the truth of that child in Uganda who was born in that family to a single mom with, you know, no father and the single mom is blind and this child is having, can't even go to school because they don't have school fees. Like they didn't choose to be there, but that child was made by the same God that made me and is loved the same amount that I am. And I just, I think that I don't know. It's just beyond me to be able to compartmentalize and put people in a box of I'm going to treat them different because they come from a different place than me. I I just human compassion and kindness. It just it's really sad. Unfortunately, as much as I've witnessed it, I've also witnessed it it not (laughs) happening. Yeah. People being even people who call themselves Christians being very unkind. And, um, I just, yeah, it circumstance can, if we let it pigeonhole us into a certain trajectory of our life, but I just, mindset is a a huge thing. You know, it's not the be all and end all, but mindset is massive. I was talking to one of my kids yesterday about mindset and not letting these things that we want to believe are true because the world is saying they're true because the world is trying to put us into this box. Um, you know, not letting those things take root in our heart because they're not actually what's true. What is truth and how do you find truth? And so, yeah, anyways, oh, I yeah. can get on a whole different tangent there, but yeah. But no, that all, I mean, that all makes sense. And I think I have a question. So as an Enneagram three, I constantly have this thing in my head that I have to kind of, you know, tell it to be quiet, which is, am I doing enough? Am I not doing enough? There's like this constant like performance, like in in a lot analysis going on. Um, You're someone who has done a lot in your life. And I mean, so far, and even what's more to come, do you feel like you've had that in your head too? Like, am I doing enough? Like with soul hope? Am I okay? 
100%. In fact, I feel like it is one of the uphill battles that I am just now starting. I've not mastered it, starting to fight. And I mean, even in the most basic of ways that some people are like, seriously, that's hard for you. And it can be even as simple as I am going to sit on the couch for 15 minutes and I'm going to read this book about plants because I want to, because I'm going to slow down and is it productive? And is it, do, is it accomplishing the next thing in life? Is it, no, it's not, but I'm going to do it because I'm allowing myself the space to just be like, just be Asher. Yes. I've absolutely been a constant like striver and doer and goer and what's, what's next. And is what I'm doing now enough? And could I be doing more? And is this impactful? And like, I don't know, at 10, I had a midlife crisis and I, <laughs> waking up on my 10th birthday in a camper because my dad thought that everybody in their right mind wants to be camping on their birthday and um, and then look at you look at you this year (laughs) you do want to be camping I do want to be camping I just can't get away from it (laughs) so I remember waking up at 10 and hearing my mom um make some breakfast outside the tent and laying in the camper and thinking oh my gosh I'm 10 today before I know it, I'm going to be 20 and then I'm going to be 30 and then I'm going to be almost dead. Yeah. What am I doing with my life? And it was about that time I started the health, the earth club. (laughs) Yep. You started to frame up some, some ideals for yourself. Yeah, I was like, come on, Asher, you're 10. Like you really got to figure out what you're doing with your life now. Okay. It makes me feel good that you struggle with that because it makes me feel less alone. And I mean, I don't even think it's a struggle. I think, I mean, I don't know. I, I love, I just, I appreciate you sharing that. Even if it's a, even if it's a, not a pleasant thing for you to experience in your own life. (laughs) I think it can be a struggle when we let it distract us from what's in front of us, when we're constantly about the next instead of what is in the now. And am I appreciating and fully fully living to the hilt. Um, Jim Elliott says, live to the hilt of every situation, you know, to be the will of God. Okay. Well, so is doing my kids laundry, the will of God. Well, yeah, right now it is because he's gifted me these beautiful children and he's gifted me these two hands that work and a washing machine and clothes. And, you know, let's find the beauty in the everyday moments and not just be thinking like, Oh gosh, this thing that I'm doing now, this isn't big enough. This isn't purposeful enough. This isn't, but how do you, know, you always no, know, like, how do you know what's the now? Well, for me, I don't take it. Well, sometimes it is like the now, like I am sitting here talking on a podcast. This is now, but for me, the now is this season that I'm in. So this season mm-hmm. that I'm in is a different one that I've ever been in, you know, um, sharing my passion for soul hope to the world from America Um, co-founding and uh, helping my husband run this amazing consulting business. That is the now. But the thing that I'm really trying to focus on the most is it while doing those things, not neglecting, because those things can give you accolades, right? Like people can for the (laughs) accomplishments, right? But no one's praising me for doing the laundry and cooking dinner every night and cleaning up for the bajillionth time the smoothie stain on the amen amen (laughs) and so finding that to me is what I'm like mine now right now is that I have kids living in my home they will not always be here when they leave I can keep working and I mean I am doesn't mean I'm not going to work while they're in my home it's this is my passion it is part of my purpose but finding the joy in those mundane things that I'm having to do every single day. That is my now. Yep. That's awesome. Oh, so good. Okay. So <laughs> when you figured out you were going to go o- across the sea to Uganda, first of all, yeah. did you travel for your two years when you were doing scoping trips? Did you travel with your family? 
No, I did not. You went by yourself. So I went, well, I went either by myself or I would join up with teams like other um, nonprofits that maybe already had something established. Cause remember I was not looking to establish my own thing. I just, I was like, Oh, well, you're doing something. Maybe we can, you know, fit I'll what, join in with you. Yeah. Maybe I'll <laughs> yeah. join in with you. And just every door kept closing. And so that's when I started to do research kind of just strictly for soul hope with other people and um, that were passionate about it, which I will say, if you have something you are passionate about, even if no one else cares, run for it. I cannot tell you how many people in my life thought it was the most stupid, irresponsible idea ever, like including some people that love me dearly. <laughs> like, <laughs> they just said, what the heck are you doing, Asher? You are trading stability for this, like this thing that nobody wants to talk about, even going to Uganda, doctors would laugh in my face when they heard what I was there for. People would, when we first started, because they're like, it's such a simple problem. Is that kind of what they were thinking? No, no, because they said they're cursed. Why are you trying to help them? Like even doctors thought that like in America. Yes. Uh, No, not in America. Oh, doctors there. When you were trying to employ doctors to come. Oh, right. Yeah. We first started, we had soul hope shirts for staff. We're like team, we've got to do this together. I'm all about like rallying the troops and we're all going to wear our green soul hope shirts. And I thought it was great. (laughs) I noticed they're all taking them off when they leave work. And I was like, I asked one of the staff and I was like, why are they taking their shirts off when they leave? And they said, well, they don't want to be seen outside the gates of soul hope with a shirt that, cause our hashtag is zero jiggers. (laughs) And so we, it said soul hope hashtag zero jiggers on the back. And they don't want to be seen with the word jiggers on their shirt. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it just shook me. Such a stigma. Such a stigma. But when I went back last year, I was like, where are all the Soul Hope shirts? And our country director said, oh, we have people volunteer just so they can get a t-shirt. Everybody wants a t-shirt. We have Boda drivers, the motorcycle drivers that would come to our compound just so that they could get a t-shirt. You have, you have reached the tipping point. Yeah. And how beautiful is that? That it's like taking away the stigma that when people are looked at for having jiggers, they're not laughed at. Yeah. They're really looked at as humans. Yeah. They're looked at. And then the next question that they're asked is how can I help? You know, it's not, how can Asher help? I never wanted it to be, how can, how can I go in and help? But mobilizing people, especially locals, this is, this is their family. This is their people. Like, what can they do to help? What can we do to help? But we all play a different part. We all have a different role. And, but yeah, being able to just take that stigma out, it's been beautiful. I would say one of the most successful things. And we have, I, we haven't really talked about this, but when I first started Soul Hope and I found out the answer to jiggers and keeping them out of children's feet was putting closed toed shoes on them. There was a lot of problem solving around that. I mean, Nike offered to give us containers of brand new Nike shoes. Um, I had everybody and their mother trying to donate their shoes. Did you accept? Uh, No. Okay. Tell me (laughs) from Nike. I said, no, Because because of how the Nike, how the Nike shoes are made. Well, I was like, first of all, your shoes are made in China. Second, what are they going to do when they outgrow those or they get a hole in them? Like that's not sustainable. And then we're just like the handout culture. Right. Third, you're not creating a system. You're not yeah, there's no somebody system. to fish. Right. Okay. Exactly. And I was like, and third, we are not creating something that is yeah. Sustainable. It's like that you have this problem where putting a bandage over it. Oh, taxes and tariffs. That was the other thing I was going to say. By the time we pay taxes and tariffs to get these brand new shoes in the country, we could have impacted actual locals to make the shoes. So I came up with a shoe pattern. We started shoe cutting parties 13 years ago. Just I had one, by the way. You did? (laughs) Yes, I did. That's awesome. I mean, I couldn't tell you the year. It probably was like 2017. I didn't know you. I didn't know, but through the Young Living oh, Foundation. Yes. Yeah. And I, I now it's that. just like, yeah, it's so cool. So, okay, continue on. 
yeah, so we started ha having these shoe cutting parties. They've literally happened all over the world. And it's a way for people to get their hands on a pair of old denim. You know, we all have a pair of old jeans that is either like, I don't know, mom jeans are in now, skinny jeans are out. Then it's or a thrift like, store, like a dollar. Yeah, or like go to the thrift store or your kid outgrew their jeans. Like jeans are so plentiful here. Like we have an excess of them. Take those jeans, cut them out. You have your hands on something that will go on the feet of the child in need. Most of us can't travel over to Uganda and physically do something to help, but this is something that any of us can do to help. And so um, we started doing that and I cannot even tell you. So then we would take those shoes and give them to our Ugandan shoemakers. So we have this system now. We still have shoemakers and tailors where they are sewing these shoes together. And, and Soul Hope still, re still relies on denim from people mm -hmm. here. Great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they can yeah. find those templates like on your website. Yeah. So we have a little shop where you can either get a corporate shoe cutting party or so we've had like Apple, Capital One, um, different like corporations because people want to give back Starbucks, like people, corporations want to do something to give back, give their team something that is like more than, you know, just picking up trash for a day. Like, so it's just a really unique concept as far as for corporations. But then we also have individual ones that can be done by one person. We've had little old ladies that are like homebound and can't get out of their house. And they're like, I cut out X amount of hair shoes. That's amazing. And right. That's a little note with it. It's so cute. Um, up to thousands of people at a youth group or, you know, a yeah. mom's night out or whatever. And so Young Living Foundation, like you said. And so, yeah, it's just been a really neat way that people around the world can get involved. And so that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Does Soul Hope do service trips too? So we did before COVID. Um, we're thinking about starting them back up um, they'll be, it'll be, we're trying to revamp them. What we don't want to happen is we don't want poverty tourism. We don't want people to yeah. just go yeah. over and, um, the people that live there to feel like the spectacle. Sure. But what we do endorse is other people getting outside their comfort zone in their little town that they've always been in and or you know their little country that they've always been in and seeing other parts of the world this is a big world big beautiful place i've lived all over the world and i cannot imagine how i would be different as a person if i didn't understand different cultures and the way you know people just do life differently but also just to be there to support our staff we have such amazing staff there in uganda and they love it when people come from all around the world to help them to either like just be the note takers at jigger removals or whatever their gifts and talents are. Like we've never forced anybody to do something that's completely out of their comfort zone, but just to be able to support the staff and yeah, see what we do, see the hope center. Um, the young living foundation is who built the hope center that we have now. And we've had so many people come out and like actually get to see it and see the people that come in and on day one, they can't even walk their head is down. You can just see that they feel like, absolute you know nothing like it's really sad the testimonies we've had from people that just how they're feeling when they come in and then literally two days later they're running around with visitors that have come and they're playing soccer oh, and they're yeah. trying with chalk on the on the sidewalk and um and just being able to see that transformation not just in their bodies but also in their soul and their spirit and their just physical being it's it's Tra it is transformational for the person that gets to witness it. It is a gift to the per person that gets to witness it. So yeah, we are starting that back up soon and that's okay. kind of underway. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Okay. Last question that I have, and who knows, maybe I'll have another question after this is, will <laughs> you tell us your love story? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so genuinely curious because I've, uh, I, I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> Did Ben tip you off to this? No. Oh gosh, you're going to die. Okay. Okay. Um, I am so excited. And okay. honestly, Asher, if, if you don't want this in the podcast, I can delete it out. <laughs> it's fine. It's just, I've literally never, I've shared this with friends and family, but I've never like shared it with the world. So here we go. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm so excited. This is an exclusive. This is an exclusive. You're hearing it for the first time, folks. <laughs> So, oh gosh. Okay. So 
Ben and I both ran organizations that were part of the Young Living Foundation. We did not know each other when all that happened. Um, it turns out, on retrospect, we were at a lot of the same events at the same time, but we didn't know it or we didn't sure. see each other. We maybe heard, I think maybe I'd heard his name, but I hadn't met him and didn't. I'm a unique person when it comes to this, <laughs> Bethany. <laughs> and I really could not give two flying flips who he was or yeah. what. I was like, good for him. I'm happy he's also doing something. I uh, Now being a healthier version of me, understand that I was suffering a lot of trauma when I would come back. I fly from Uganda to go to the Young Living Conventions. Yes. To speak and talk at the booths and stuff. And now, uh, did you hear him speak as well? And so were you kind of like, were you kind of like, well, like feeling this? Okay. I'm just going (laughs) to guess that if I were in your shoes, my whole heart and soul is in soul hope. And it's one. And so then this is another organization that you're like, I could imagine you might be like, oh, game on. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so the first time I'd heard his name, but I honestly thought Ben Riley and Ben Cooley were the same person. Sure. Yeah. So I didn't, I was like, I don't understand. Like, doesn't he work for, for Young Living? I don't, I, I, yeah, like I didn't get it. I didn't understand why people were saying like, oh, he'll be at the farm speaking. And I'm like, cool. I just didn't get it. <laughs> Anyways, I was living under a rock. I was very much living in Uganda, Soul Hope world. Like sure. I was not in the American, I had, I didn't know what was actually going on in life. So the year that he spoke the one that was just recently posted on his Instagram that you yes. said was so moving. <laughs> I, okay. So I was sitting way up in the bleachers with my friend who also had flown from Uganda and we, so we had been doing life together. We, we understood the traumas that we both were walking through and, you know, just, yeah. So we're sitting way high in the bleachers and it's the, I don't know, convention time, they're doing something. And then this guy, Ben Cooley gets on stage and he's got such a big personality and he starts talking about like his skinny jeans. And I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, he's with the foundation. Oh, he's got a nonprofit too. (laughs) Came on, spring a little bit of this eight out competition. Okay, well then he starts speaking. And And for for those who are not (laughs) there, I'll just give you, it was like, and very, it wasn't just like speaking, like, here's what we do. It was like, like, go yeah. to his Instagram, watch, you'll kind of get the vibe. Okay. Continue. Yes. Like all the 40,000 women were crying. Plus Everyone, my husband. <laughs> plus your husband, plus probably everyone else's husband. Yeah. Everyone's standing on their feet, standing ovation. Well, yeah. I didn't get to that part because the second he started talking, he's in a suit or I think he had, a, he at least had a suit coat on. And I'm coming from like where you have like your feet are dirty every day. I've got like, yeah, like clothes that have you're been doing in the, the real work. <laughs> <laughs> she said it, not me. She said it. Not me. <laughs> Obviously, for those listening, I'm 100% joking. Yeah, 100% joking. <laughs> so I just, I, it felt unrelatable. That's what it comes down to. It yeah. felt unrelatable. And so he starts talking about trafficking human trafficking and this story was sad but I coming from where I had just literally been sitting by (laughs) yeah one of my very dear friends and employees um as he died and then had to fly out to go to convention which is like a whole nother world you know we buried him like uh, days before I left and so I'm still having that like grief and just the weight of like so leaving soul hope at the time, like we were still trying to figure things out and it just, the work felt really, really hard and draining. And so I see this guy get up there with his suit coat on and he's motivating everyone and everyone's crying. And I literally looked at my friend next to me from Uganda and I said, I'm going to the bathroom, text me when he's done. Yeah. <laughs> and I walked out. <laughs> When I first told him this story, Bethany, he was like, what? I was like, 
I walked out. I'm sorry. I did go back like four years later though. And I watched it on YouTube and I was like, that was actually really good. And yeah. had Asher been in a healthier place, I would have also been standing and giving you an applaud, but I just couldn't. So anyways, that kind of <laughs> set the, the marker for me of this Ben Cooley dude. I was like, I don't want to see him. I don't want to talk to him. Like, does he even really like know what's happening in the world or does he just wear suit jackets and yeah. like meditate people all day? Okay. <laughs> Which by the way, he does really know what's going on. Yeah. And he was really changing the world just in, arguably, I mean, some would say in an even more impactful way because his organization was much bigger than mine. That, but that but, is, but that is part of everyone having their own role. 100%. Yep. And working in their giftings. Yeah. He could never do what I did, but I could never do what he did. Like, yes, 100%. Way to bring it back around. Oh, but it's just because it's so blaring. It's like, I love Don't compare okay. yourself. Don't yeah. compare yourself. Even if you're, you're doing good things, other people are doing good things. We can all do good things differently. We don't all have to do it the same because we are not made the same. We don't have the same gifts and talents. And I could have never gotten on that stage even let's be real, even if I had been living in America and I had my own little, you know, fancy outfit on, I could have never gotten on that stage and brought 40,000 people to their feet and moved them like he does. Like he's absolutely so talented and gifted. And I mean, you know, it's on me and my self-work that I needed to do that. I was like, it I makes to total, no, myself. it makes total sense. Yeah. You, <laughs> so, you were in a moment of grief. It's like the same thing. Like I did a podcast the other day. I actually don't know if I mentioned this in it, but like after I had a miscarriage, you know, my, it was totally my issue going to a, a baby shower and like having to excuse right. myself to go to the cry. It wasn't that I was, right. you know, it's just, it's that's not, what grief yeah. does. So yes. I think, yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's not that anything's wrong with that mother having a baby and you do genuinely want them to be celebrated. Exactly. Like, I feel this right now. Yes. And same for you in that moment, you were in grief. Yes. And so then when did you actually meet? Okay. So I'd heard about him, like the Ben Cooley guy. So then gosh, maybe three years later, we were both put backstage to speak for the foundation with the other people that were also on the foundation. I think there were like six of us or something like that. And I looked at that same friend because she, she was also speaking on stage. And I said, Oh gosh, we're stuck backstage with Ben Cooley. <laughs> you said that. Yeah. <laughs> and literally not two minutes later, he comes walking over. I had made up all these stories, which this is a good lesson guys. Don't yeah. judge people. Don't make up stories about them when you don't know them he comes walking over and he was like hi I'm Ben Cooley and he shakes our hands and we're like hi we talked for like I don't know two minutes and when he left I looked at my friend and I was like uh I feel really bad that like for the last however many years we've been avoiding him and like because he seems like a really nice person and she's like yeah I, I know that you just kind of we both in that moment recognized like hmm think we are coming from a different place a different mindset yeah. and so it was really it was really good to be stuck backstage because yeah. we, I mean all we did was say hi what do you okay this is your organization this is your organization so I do it was just very kind of yeah informal we're moved we're shuffled from stage to stage did our speaking and then didn't talk again for a while um and so our love story unfolded after COVID so when I moved to Nashville and he was doing work in Nashville, he actually got stuck in Nashville. No and way. Yes. And um, he knew that I was here. And so he called me up one day and I mean, we had kept in touch and stuff on the phone. Um, and I had asked, you know, business advice because Soul Hope was in a very difficult place at that time, which was very humbling to me to go to the guy that I was like, sure. with that person and be like, can you please help us? And, um, he was so incredibly helpful and, um, really helped turn soul hope around from where we were at to where we are now. And, um, and so, you know, we had kept in touch on the phone, but like we hadn't seen each other. And so anyways, long story short, he got stuck in Nashville and was like, Hey, I'm stuck in Nashville. You want to hang out? And I was like, sure. And then we were like being eights. We are both like, fast and furious, whether it's a business idea or, Hey, let's go on vacation. Like we're both just such all or nothing people. Intense, and yeah. We're both intense. We're both 
eight wing seven, which either is a very good thing or a very bad thing. And so I don't know, we, it's been a very good thing for us, but my gosh, everything just happened so fast. We were dating, engaged, married. (laughs) I was like, I found my best friend. (laughs) Let's just do it. That's so cool. let's, Let's do it. I was like looking at your Instagram and I think I may have found like, actually, maybe it was on Ben's, you know, I'm before these interviews. Cause I interviewed Ben on Monday. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm kind of just trying to learn and see common denominators so I can get some stuff to look at. And I think I saw like right before he, did he propose it, like on almost you were on video, like walking towards. Yes. Okay. So that was yes. it. Okay. Did yeah, you know proposed- that was coming? No, I, I didn't know it was, I didn't know it was coming. He proposed in his little town that he grew up in, in England, which is like the most adorable, cute place. If I could just up and live somewhere in the world, I would move there, but you know, life, (laughs) but yeah, he proposed there and it was like, he had my daughter in on it. And I was like, you little stinker, you knew about (laughs) how old, how old is she? She at the time was, had she, she was 16. Okay. So she's old enough to keep a secret. She's old enough to keep a secret, old enough to be, you know, texting on her phone. And I thought she and I were out on like a little mother daughter date, but she was scheming. That is so adorable. (laughs) I love it. Well, I'm just so excited for you guys. And what, like I said, before we started recording, like what a power couple, like two individuals who balance each other, but like you said, have such similar, I think, when I look at, you know, my relationship with Eli, I think what makes it so awesome is of course we have compatible personalities and of course we have, you know, things in common, but really what it is, is our vision for our life is so aligned. And that's what I see in you guys too. Yes. And that is so important. I mean, I, I hate that divorce has been part of my story. I absolutely hate it. But if I like many things in my life, there are lots of things that I wish hadn't happened or wish weren't part of my story. But if I take those things and just like divorce and look at it and say, all right, what have I learned? What have I learned about marriage? What have I learned about myself? What have I learned about who I want to be? And I can take those things into this relationship with my best friend. Like, you know, it's unstoppable. We, he's, he is like nobody I've ever met in my life. Genuinely, <laughs> probably most people would say that. he is his own unique character. Well, you and both are. Yeah. Yeah. We both are. Yeah. But he just, uh, we have very aligned um, visions for where we want to go in the future. And I think you're right. That is so important. It's like the glue that holds you together because things in life are going to be shaking and they're going to be changing. And we, as people are going to change yeah. the Asher that I am today is not the Asher that I'm going to be. 20 years from now, nor is the Ben, you know, it's like, and so having that kind of common vision and being okay with the changing and evolving, knowing the direction that you both are heading and desire. I mean, it's key. That is key for a marriage. Yep. Did he ever bring you coffee or did he forget just now? Yeah. Look, yeah, he did. I didn't even sneak. I didn't see him sneak back in. (laughs) I know. I am. I have to say that, you know, you got a good guy when he'll bring you some coffee. A (laughs) hundred percent. I like, I'll tell, I tell Eli that too. Like some days on weekends, I won't set my timer on the coffee maker because I don't know what time I'm going to wake up. I'll just like sleep Uh until. Uh And, um, when he brings me coffee, it's like the attraction level. It like, I know I'm like, and and when it's, when I'm still like sitting in bed, like reading or whatever, and he brings coffee, it's like, so my favorite thing to do is like, I'll ask him, you know, Hey, like, will you get me coffee? Which (laughs) when you have to ask, it does change. It does change the energy, (laughs) you know, and not that you have to ask, but you know, it changes the energy. But then, um, (laughs) I've sometimes like pulled out my phone and pretended like I'm recording. I'm like, Oh, thanks for bringing me coffee, babe. Like see his reaction to like, as if I'm lying about it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I love doing stuff like that. That's so great. Asher, thank you so much for being here. And just, uh, is there anything that you feel like you wanted to say that you didn't get to say, or do you feel complete? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. You're just like a light. You were like a radiating light on Instagram, on your podcast, on this call. Like you just, you emit that everywhere you go. And so I just want you to know that 
even being my new friend, you, it's so, (laughs) so evident and it's even obvious to me. So I just want you to know that. Um, Thank thank you. you Yeah. But I know, I think that you're a really great question asker. And I, I think we could probably make like a five hour podcast if you're ever up. (laughs) I totally, not that anyone would listen to it because, (laughs) but I just love chatting with you. So yeah, thank you. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Bethany Shipley Show. I hope you feel more inspired. I hope you feel more excited, more clear on what your magic is because you are made of magic. And so all you have to do to make the magic happen is put yourself out there. So get on out there and do your best now, you hear? (laughs) 